You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That is worthy of celebration, brothers and sisters, each and every single Sunday, but especially on this day. I invite you to turn with me once again, as we have done the past two times we've met, to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. If you do not have a Bible, You will find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. You are welcome to take that so you can follow along with us. If you do not have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that with you as our gift to you. We hope that uh, the Word of God blesses you, not only this morning, but as you go from this place today. During this special Holy Week season, we've been working our way through this passage talking together about the God who saves. Last Sunday on Palm Sunday, we looked at the Father who sends, S-E-N-D-S, not the Father who sends, S-I-N-S. Last week, I said something during my sermon, and uh, it went something like this. There were no... Hold on a second. There was only one no, N-O, in the Garden of Eden, and the rest were yeses. Well, somebody took that to mean that I said there were no gnomes, no gnomes in the Garden of Eden. I don't think there were. The Bible doesn't say anything about there being gnomes in the Garden of Eden. But last week, we talked about the Father who sins on Friday during our Good Friday service. We talked about the Son who suffers this morning We're going to talk from this passage about the Spirit who speaks life. So Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. There the Holy Spirit writes to us through the Apostle Paul. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, Father, as we have done the past two times we have read and worked our way through this passage, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who regenerates and renews, would be a life-giving, life-changing Spirit even in our midst. May the simple reading and hearing of your word affect us in a way today, perhaps that it has not before. 
And may the preaching of your word impact hearts in a way that all of us walk out of these doors on this Easter Sunday different than when we walked in. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask for your power and your presence to be manifest now. In Christ's name, amen. Now you'll notice in this passage, verse 5, where Paul specifically speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, God has saved us according to his own mercy by or through the agency of the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father has now poured out in and through the crucified and resurrected Christ. So we want to focus in this morning on this gift, this generous gift of the Spirit from Father and Son. I want us to worship the Spirit this morning, in other words. The first question I want to ask you and the first question that I want us to answer this morning from this text is simply this. Are you alive this morning? And I'm talking about more than just a heart beating in your chest. Are you spiritually alive this morning? You have the Spirit to thank for that. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described as the life-giving presence of God. Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their host. Creation itself was breathed or spoken into existence through the agency of God's Holy Spirit. Job 33.4 says this, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. When God first breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, it was the Spirit of God who did that. Matthew 1.20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then in Romans 8.11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit was there at the beginning of creation as the life-giving Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there when Christ rose on the eighth day as the beginning of the new creation took hold in the midst of the old and he gave life to Christ and resurrected him. Here in our passage this morning in Titus chapter 3, particularly here in verse 5, we see the Apostle Paul telling us that God saves by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Now what is regeneration? It's a big biblical word, but it's an important word. Regeneration simply means this. 
Regeneration is the sole and sovereign act of the Holy Spirit, whereby he gives life to dead sinners, raising them from spiritual death through faith in Christ. The word itself literally means new birth. And so the Holy Spirit saves by directly applying his life-giving power to the hearts of dead sinners, like the paddles of an AED machine. And he brings people from death unto spiritual life. And here's something key you need to know. The work of regeneration is the sole and sovereign act of God. Because people who are dead and trespasses and sins, as Paul describes us in Ephesians 2, 1, can do nothing, nothing to help themselves. This is why Jesus explains to Nicodemus that you and I must be born again or born from above. If we are to experience the life-changing kingdom of God in our lives. Beginning in verse 3 of John chapter 3. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, not understanding these things, said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind or the Spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And just to be sure you and I understand what Jesus is saying, just so that it's clear that it's the Spirit who must do this work, Jesus says in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. What does he mean the flesh profits nothing? Simply this. If you are spiritually alive this morning, you have one person to thank for that, and it ain't you. (laughs) It's the Spirit of God. If you aren't, spiritually alive this Easter morning. If the living God is not the most profound, important, and central reality in your life today, guess what? Your present condition is no hindrance to the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've prayed for you this week that this morning the sovereign spirit of God would apply those AED paddles to your heart and raise you from the dead right here and right now. And friends, that goes for anyone you know who has not surrendered themselves 
to the Lord Jesus. Their foolish thinking, their disobedience, their slavery to sin is no barrier whatsoever to the Spirit's life-giving work. None. Their willful slavery to the empty promises of sin is no barrier to the Spirit's life-giving work. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? The second question I have for you this morning is this. Have you, have you been set free from the guilt and the shame of a sinful past? You have the Holy Spirit to thank for that. Notice that Paul says that God saved us by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. The idea of regeneration as a washing is undoubtedly a callback to something the prophet Ezekiel said. Ezekiel was one of those Old Testament prophets who declared some incredibly good news about the results of the eventual coming of the Messiah, a time that arrived with the Lord Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. In chapter 36 of Ezekiel, beginning in verse 25, God says this through the prophet, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now notice what Ezekiel says. Through him, God promises his people that he will cleanse, that he will wash with water, that he will wipe away the filth of our sin, particularly our idolatry. Now, you and I may not worship in temples or bow down to statues made of wood or stone or precious metal, and we may not personalize our idols with names like Bel, Molech, Ra, Horus, Athena, Aphrodite, Zeus, or Thor. But there's no question that just as the ancients did, so do we entrust ourselves to created things that we think can fulfill the promises that only God can ultimately fulfill. In other words, as one famous theologian once said, the human heart is an idol factory. And all of us are guilty of producing one after another in search of life and peace and joy and comfort and satisfaction. You see, that's what idolatry is, by the way. It's, it's investing our trust in someone or something, believing that that person or that thing will heal us, give us 
Give us meaning. Love us. And provide us everything that we think we need to get on in life. And yet I want you to notice something. In both Ezekiel 36 and in Titus 3. Notice particularly how the living God of all grace responds to the idolatry of rebels like you and like me. In Ezekiel chapter 36, this incredibly gracious God promises that one day he will take his people up in his arms and he will bathe them. In other words, his holiness will no longer push them away. His holiness will draw them in and make them completely clean from the inside out. And what do you see when Jesus comes? You see perfect holiness on display. And you see the lame and the broken and the sinful and those with shameful past. And those with shameful presence, all drawn to him and all changed, cleansed, set free in his presence. And what does Paul tell us now? That Christ has risen and Christ has returned to his father and Christ has now with his father sent the spirit, but that the spirit does the same thing that Jesus did with his own hands. He washes. He washes the precious people of God clean of everything in our past that could continue to keep us ashamed. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Just as the old hymn says. And the Spirit of God takes from this endless supply. And he washes sinners white as snow. Cleansing us from the inside out. So that the sin and the guilt and the shame is all washed away. Just like water under the bridge that flows down a river never to be seen again. Do you know what it is to be free of the guilt and the shame of your past? Do you know what it is to feel clean where you once felt dirty, to feel the unburdening power of real joy, once you, where you once only knew the burden of those words that you'd said to that person or that particular choice or decision you made or that lifestyle that you lived or that slavery to that particular sin or destructive habit. Do you know what it is to be free and out from under the heavy burden of those things? 
If you do, you have the Spirit to thank for that. Such a gift. Such a gift. The third question I have for you this morning is this. Are you a different you than you used to be? You have the Spirit to thank for that too. Go back to the text in Titus 3. In verse 5, again, Paul writes that God has saved us by or through the agency of the Holy Spirit's washing of regeneration and renewal. Two words that are close in meaning, but there's enough difference to focus on both of them. You see, not only does the Holy Spirit cleanse of past sin, not only does he wash and regenerate, the Holy Spirit also renews. In other words, he gives all of those who trust Christ a brand new future. He remakes us, and he sets our lives on a new trajectory. Just as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In and through the Spirit, all of those who trust Christ have been given a new heart. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the fulfillment of precisely what the prophet Ezekiel wrote about in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Did you catch it when we read it the first time? God promises, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Brothers and sisters, this morning, on Easter, as we turn our hearts and minds to the resurrection of Christ, do you know what the promise made through Ezekiel means? Do you know what the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 mean? That in the resurrected Christ, not only has the new creation dawned through him, but the new creation has already dawned in your life through the life-giving, life-changing work of the present and powerful Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ this morning, you have been given a new heart. Both the promise of the prophet and the picture of salvation that Paul paints in Titus chapter 3 tell a very different story from the decision and done salvation that many people assume that they possess. 
In other words, and hear me now, regeneration and renewal. Paint a picture of a person being transformed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit, a person who has passed definitively from death unto life. A person slowly but surely coming into their new identity as a child of God. A person slowly but surely coming into their new purpose as a disciple of Jesus. A person slowly but surely exhibiting through the Holy Spirit the fact that they have been given a new heart through his presence and power. person becoming a different person than they used to be. Is that you this morning? You have the Spirit to thank for that. If you can't say that you have something of a genuine desire to please the Lord this morning, however small that desire may be, if you can't say that you have something of an inclination to follow Jesus this morning, if you can't say that you have something of a a mustard seed-sized faith in Christ this morning, however faltering your response and my response might be from day to day, I want to plead with you to consider something. I want to plead with you to ask yourself whether or not you have actually experienced the life-giving, life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Now look, I realize when I ask a question like that, it's often heard in a couple of different ways. Some of you have such tender consciences that you hear a question like that and you are immediately stirred up and you are personally concerned about the state of your soul before the Lord. If this is you, I want to encourage you. Chances are you probably wouldn't be thinking such thoughts so quickly if the Spirit of God were not in you and if you had no desire to please Jesus. So dear one with tender conscience, take that as something of a sign this morning that you are alive and that your heart is soft and responsive to the Spirit of God. The person I'm more concerned about this morning is the individual putting faith in a baptism date or a past decision rather than actually trusting in Christ. Can you say that you have experienced 
the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, today, as you look at your life where you are compared to where you used to be, are you a different you than you used to be? Because the text in front of us says that the Holy Spirit sent by Father and Son, acts upon the hearts of dead sinners in such a way so as to bring life and to change life. I plead with you to consider that this morning. The final question I want to ask is this. Do you know God? Not do you know about God. Do you know God? You have the Father and the Son to thank for sending the Holy Spirit to you. This passage, as we've already talked about over this last week, is an incredible picture of the triune God at work securing our salvation. Through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit writes to us here that it's God the Father who delivers sinners from the penalty and the power and ultimately from the presence of sin by the regenerating, renewing work of the Holy Spirit through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son. The Father as architect of salvation, the Son as the one who secures it, and the Spirit as the one who applies it. But for what purpose does God save? Now, according to this text, in verse 7, it is so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God saves, in other words, so that you and I might become heirs with Christ and receive from God the generous, overflowing, and abundant gift of eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? Much like the word salvation, much like the words born again, which are used so, so much in church culture, I fear that the words eternal life are often misunderstood too. How does Jesus define eternal life? In his great high priestly prayer in John 17, this is what he prays to the Father in regard to eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Very simply, eternal life equals knowing God. Eternal life equals knowing God. In other words, eternal life, according to the very Son of God, is not first and foremost a quantity of life. It's not first and foremost endless years upon years. Eternal life is a quality of life. Eternal life is a kind of life. 
Eternal life is defined by having a relationship with God where you and I can say through the power of the Holy Spirit that we know God as our Father and we know Christ Jesus as our Savior and our friend. This, this is the kind of life that would compel the Apostle Paul to say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because for Paul, living here meant living for Jesus. And for Paul, dying meant going to be with Jesus. Either way, here or there, it was about who? Jesus. You see, the hope of eternal life is not first and foremost about the hope of heaven. The hope of eternal life is the hope of being with the Lord. Whether that's here or in heaven. It's the hope of being free from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. It's the hope of finding all of my dreams and my joys and my faith fulfilled in seeing my Savior face to face. In other words, and hear me on this, heaven will only be heaven because God is there. Eternal life will only be eternal life because you are connected intimately and personally and forevermore to the life giver. Heaven will only be heaven because you and I get to spend a million, billion, trillion years exploring God's glory and coming to treasure him for everything he's worth. Do you still want to go? I find it hard to fathom when people say things like, all we're going to be doing in heaven is worshiping God for all eternity. Won't that get boring? Do you still want to go? Perhaps then the best and most important indicator of whether you or I have eternal life is this. Ask yourself a very simple question. Do I want to know God? Do I want to know Him? If you do, you have the Father and the Son to thank for sending the life-giving, life-changing spirit into your heart and life, raising you from the dead and implanting within you this instinct, this desire, this genuine heartfelt inclination to pursue God. If you don't. And if the Holy Spirit has awakened in you this morning a desire to know God today, you you really can. You can know the living God as your Father. 
You can know the Son of God as your Savior, your King, your friend. And what better day than Easter Sunday to experience the life-giving, life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are this morning, whatever your relationship to God, I pray that on this Resurrection Sunday that that's exactly what you would experience. If you know the risen Christ, I pray that you would walk out those doors this morning with a greater confidence in the Spirit's power in your life to bring the very power of the risen Christ to bear upon you, your past, your present, and your future. If you can't honestly say you know God this morning, on his behalf I invite you to consider what it would mean for you to repent of your sin, to turn away from a life built for yourself and your own glory and to turn to God to find in him everything you could ever possibly want or need. He's here. And he's inviting you to do that.